Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now let's go to John chapter four, please. John chapter four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Somebody sounds tired. John 4, look at verse 23 and 24. We're going to be talking today about, specifically we'll be talking about prayer, but really we're talking about a life of worship. We're going to go over a very simple outline, something that you can remember, something I use often. Uh, Our services are loosely based off of this outline that I'm going to share with you in just a moment. Okay, we're going to talk about worship And we're going to talk about prayer. You can apply it to prayer. It's very easy to apply this to prayer. Okay. Look at John 4 and verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for an opportunity to come before you today. Thank you for your word. God, please help me as I preach. Lord, please keep the distractions to a minimum. Lord, I pray that you would guide us and help us in worshiping. Help us to be true worshipers that you seek. Once again, if someone's here today, they've never trusted you as their savior. I pray that you would show them that they need to be saved. Perhaps they think of themselves as a good person, perhaps a religious person, but they've never trusted you for their salvation. Lord, help them to see that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In 1908, James Frazier gave up a promising career in order to be a missionary to China. He worked hard to learn the language and culture in order to share Jesus. James was working in Lisuland in the foothills of the Himalayas. He would regularly travel village to village, evangelizing and leading services with converts in each village. During the winter months, as you can imagine, these large mountains, when it would snow, it would be very difficult to travel. During the winter months, the snow made travel to the villages in the highlands impossible. James was often frustrated, even blaming God for hindering his work. Have you ever been there before? You're trying to do something. You're trying to to do God's work. You're trying to follow God. And something really seems to be challenging you. And you begin to blame God for it. That's where this, this man was at. 
Then he sensed a challenge from God. He knew that it would take him three to five days to travel to the Highlander villages, lead services, and travel home. Unable to travel, he took those days to pray for these new Christians who were alone in their faith. When spring arrived and the snow melted, Fraser was eager to visit the Highlander villages and check on his disciples. What he found amazed him. Through the winter, they had been reading their Bibles and praying. He had discovered that they had grown far more in their faith than did his disciples in the lowlands. And he later wrote, If I were to think after the manner of men, I would be anxious about my Lisu converts, afraid for their falling back into idol worship. But God is enabling me to cast all my care upon him. I am not anxious, not nervous. If I hugged my care to myself instead of casting it upon him, I should never have persevered in the work so long. Perhaps never even have started it. But if it has begun in him, it must continue in him. Here when he's talking about his, his, the, the description of him working for God, he's talking about his life of ministry. He's talking about really his life of worship. When we talk about worship, we're talking about not just a moment in church. We're not talking about a particular style of music. We're talking about a life. We're talking about a direction that our life is headed. We're talking about, do, are you a worshiper of God? Do you worship God? And does your life show that you worship God? We can see here in the story, circumstances dictated that this man was unable to go about his ministry the way he really wanted to. But instead of getting angry, getting frustrated, instead, he simply, um, he simply began to pray. Would you check and see if that can be, can you let them know we're trying to do something a little bit quiet? That would be great. That would be great. Okay. All right. Let's go to the first point. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When we're talking about worshiping God, we, we, we first of all need to realize that when we're worshiping God, we must first become a believer of Jesus Christ. We must trust him for our salvation. Um, the Bible says, let's take a, let's take a look in 1 John Let's take a look in 1 John, in chapter number 2, First John chapter 2 and verse number 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. So he, he's speaking here to, he's speaking here to believers. You need to understand we're talking about worshiping God. It's not just enough for us to change our religion. It's not just enough for us to perhaps get baptized and then say, you know, I, I now want to be a follower of Jesus or I want to be a worshiper of Jesus. We have to be born again. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We must accept him fully with our heart. So here in 1 John chapter 2, when he's saying, describing in, in verse 1, my little children... When he's talking about fellowship, he's talking about confessing your sin, he's talking to believers, okay? 
So when we read these verses, he's not talking to lost people that we should confess our sin over and over and over again for the purpose of going to heaven. All right. Look at verse number, chapter one, verse number nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to understand that verse was written for saved people. We don't confess our sin every day in order to make sure that we go to heaven every day. Okay? First John is talking to save people. Uh, sometimes you ask people, if you, if, you, if you died, are you sure you'd go to heaven? They say something like, well, yeah, I think so. I confess my sin today. I ask Jesus to come into my heart every day. Some people say that. Right? They try to say their prayers. They try to be a good person every day. And perhaps even some people would know this verse and they say, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of those sins and he's, he's gonna forgive me when I confess them. So when I'm confessed, when I'm clean from confession, then I'll go to heaven, okay? That's not being born again. Being born again means our relationship with God has been fixed because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. When we accept him, we're born into God's family. And now that we're born again and we're a Christian, we're saved. We know for sure that, that Jesus is our savior. God is our heavenly father. Now we have a relationship. Oftentimes I explain it to people like this. I have a son and a daughter. And if they make a mistake, they don't have to be born again. It's not as if them making a mistake shatters the relationship to the point where now they are no longer living and they have to somehow be born again from my wife's body. Oh my goodness, that'd be awful. Christ died once. It is appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. We must be born again. That is a moment. That is a decision. When I honestly understand that I am a sinner and that I am coming to him with no hope for my salvation. And I trust him for my salvation. So it says here in 1 John 2, look at verse 2 now. And he is the propitiation for our sins. That means he is the appeasement. Me, listen, me confessing my sins every day does not appease God. Me accepting the appeasement appeases God. What's the appeasement? Jesus is the appeasement. The sacrifice of himself was the payment for my sin. That's it. So if I mess up, Jesus sees me as he's already appeased. I'm already part of him. I'm already, I'm already born into the family. I've already been born again. But I have to simply confess. And then now the relationship is fixed. The first question is simply, have you believed on him for eternal life? If you have, that is the beginning of your relationship with God. Now, this is the outline. A-C-T-S spells the word acts. 
Okay, there's four points. It's very simple. Thank, thank God it's not complicated. Okay, so we're just gonna simply go through this. If we're talking about a life of worship. We can also use this in our, in our prayer time. How do you pray? You can, you can take this outline and go through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so on. And see, there's adoration. You're adoring God. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. There's confession. We're gonna confess our sins. We'll talk about that in more detail in just a moment. Thanksgiving, we're going to thank God and practice gratitude. We're not gonna practice gratitude out into the universe as just I'm gonna write the words down or I'm gonna express them out loud, right? I'm going to thank God. I'm going to be practice thanksgiving. And then the last one is supplication, which is ask, which is usually what we think of when we think of prayer. All of this encapsulates worship. When we're talking about God seeking those to worship him, this is what he's looking for. Okay? He's not just looking for someone who wants to sing. He's wanting, when he's talking about he's seeking for someone to worship him, he's looking for someone who is going to live the lifestyle of someone who is a worshiper of Jesus Christ. So the first one, let's take a look. Acts, uh, sorry, Psalm 18. We started our verses there this morning. Psalm 18, if you would. We're going to look at David worshiping and adoring God. This is a very easy portion of our prayer life and of our private time. It's a very easy portion for us to kind of forget or for us to kind of pass over. Okay? But we worship God because he deserves to be worshiped. Look, guys, friends, we are worshiping something. We are all of us worshiping someone. And if I'm not careful, if I go to God in prayer and I've not taken the time to worship him, all of my prayers center around me. So therefore, I'm asking him to answer my requests for me. But remember, in the Lord's Prayer, we find the phrase, not my will. Right? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Right? So we are exalting him. We're worshiping him. We're not trying to recruit God's power to make my dreams come true. We're coming to him and saying, God, I want your dreams about my life to come true. That's, that's totally different. A worshiper says, God, I'm here to adore you. Notice in Psalm 18, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Verse 2. The Lord is my rock. Notice in the adoration when he's adoring, you are, you are, you are, you are. Now, Valentine's Day is coming up. Do you have a Valentine? I don't care. I have my Valentine. Right? Some people really put the hard pressure on people to have a Valentine. You go and buy a Valentine's Day card, what is it probably going to say? You are, you are, you are, you are, you are. There's a bit of adoration going on, or there ought to be. There's some amazing qualities I hope you notice about me. And write that in a 
say this, would you please? Uh, that is not the proper attitude in a relationship, in a romantic relationship. We know what it means to adore someone, right? Especially in a romantic relationship. Wow, I love these qualities about you. I love this and I love that. And that's what we're doing with the Lord. This is what we can see. And if you look at the Psalms over and over and over and over again, David and other psalmists are simply telling God, listen, in a way that is admiring him. You are my rock. Okay, well, if he's not your rock, who is? You are my fortress. Okay, well, if he's not your fortress, who is? Let's go on. You are my strength in verse number two. Okay, well, if he's not my strength, who is? Now, what does the world tell us? We should be our own rock. We should be our own strength. We should get in the mirror and do power poses. Ah, I'm strong. I'm powerful. And then as soon as you see the boss, all of a sudden your voice changes, right? I can't ask. I can't ask. I can't ask. Nowadays, uh, from what I hear, workers can ask for time off on some kind of an app. Oh, man. You ought to know what it's like to sit there and tremble before your boss and say, can I have time off? Right? Not really. Use the app. I'm just teasing. (laughs) I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. No, no, no. See, the Christian, a worshiper of God says, he is my strength. He is my rock. He is my fortress. Hey, he is who I run to when I am afraid. When I need help. He is who I run to. Listen, when I feel inadequate about my Christian life. When, listen, this is just a little example of the verse that we just read in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 2 where Jesus is my propitiation. If you know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you know for sure that you've been saved. I'm going to compete with this kid outside. You guys ready? Here we go. Turn it up. Here we go. I'm going to bring in the mic a little. Here we go. Ready? If you know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, but there's a little voice in the back that says, you know you messed up. God's not really pleased with you. You run to him and you run to his word as your refuge and as your strength and as your fortress. You say, I don't necessarily feel like I'm doing all that great, but God in his word says that he is my propitiation. God is appeased in Christ. And I have trusted Christ. And therefore, my relationship with God is that he has been appeased. I don't have to do good works in this life to appease God's sense of justice and judgment over me. Jesus did that on the cross. And that's why we worship him. And we need to run to him as our refuge and as our fortress. Listen, many times the problems in our lives, our life comes down to who are you running to as your fortress and as your source of strength? This person failed me. Of course they failed you. They're human being. This relationship, I'm really hoping for this relationship. I'm broken. I want that person to make me whole. Oh, my friends, please don't say something like that. Listen to the words of Psalm 118. And verse number 
We'll start in verse number five. Psalm 118 and verse number five, we're talking about adore, adoration, and worship. Psalm 118 and verse five, I called upon the Lord in distress, in distress. Call upon him when you're in distress. The Lord answered me (laughs) and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. Notice verse number six, all my friends. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Oh, these words, look at this. Verse seven. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Meaning if somebody's helping me, it's the Lord that's working through them. Whether that person's a Christian or not. Amen. Uh, Brother Dan just got another visa. Welcome to Canada, brother. Again, praise God. And we were all praying for that. Most of us, some of you were praying he'd go back to Mexico. That's not nice. No, seriously, we were praying. Whatever, whatever it was, why those government officials decided to help him? I don't, it was the Lord that helped you, my brother. It was the Lord. He's the one that opens and shuts doors. He deserves our worship. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. Hey, God will take care of those haters. Ha! <laughs> Isn't that what it said? Is that what it said? Is that a wrong thing to say? It's not a wrong thing to say. It's the wrong thing for us to try to take care of it. It's the right thing. Vengeance is, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. He will take care of it. Amen. Notice the next couple of verses, verse eight and nine. need to remember this during election time and politics time and news watching time. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Hey, have you ever had a problem in church? You ever had a church fail? Ever had a church leader fail? Of course. Happens. It happens. Listen, for some people, when a church fails or a church leader fails, their whole life explodes. Was your confidence in that person? Was your confidence in that church? It is better to put confidence in the Lord. My friend, we are vessels. Hey, where's my coffee cup? The cup does nothing to help me become awake. The cup. It's the coffee inside. Jesus is the living water. Church leaders are just vessels. And if a vessel cracks and fails you, don't throw the water away. It is better to put confidence in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Notice the next verse. I love this too. We need, to, we need to read this to ourselves before we read the news. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. What's a prince? Government leader. Have government leaders failed us? Oh, honestly, which one has them? Well, you don't know this one and they're really good. Just wait. Why? You hate? No, no, I'm not hating. I'm just being realistic. Can we just be realistic for a moment? Do not get to the point that in politics somehow you become a, 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 a one who adores that particular politician. 
History is filled with people that adored government leaders. And of course, in ancient times, kings and emperors demanded that they be worshipped as living gods. And it was the Christians during the times of the Roman Empire, and all they had to do was sprinkle a little bit of salt on the altar of Caesar as an offering. Caesar is God, is what they were supposed to be saying. They would not take the salt, and they would not worship Caesar as God, because Jesus Christ is our God. Jesus Christ is our God. Well, the government's going to get bad. They're going to start cracking down. I've got a God who's bigger than any government. And if the government decides to crack down, my God is bigger than a crackdown government. Christianity has flourished. The tighter governments have gotten. It's gotten purer. And all of the, uh, and all of the so-called people that, that do it out of convenience. Oftentimes, God uses pressures in this life to prune away things that are dead and fake. It is better to trust in the Lord. So what should we do? We should adore him. We should worship him. Let's go back to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. I want you to notice this is about God. My man, David, writes for 50 verses. doesn't really talk about himself. He talks about the Lord. This is at the end of his life. This is, this is really the beginning of when, not the end of his life, but this is when he's around roughly around 50 years old or so. When King Saul, who chased him his whole life, most of it from the teenage years into his adult years, tried to kill him because he was God's anointed choice next to be king. He was envious and jealous of David, so he tried to kill him. When Saul finally died and David was finally in the kingdom, this is the psalm that was written. It's also found in 1 Samuel 22. Second Samuel 22. But notice the hero of his story. Verse three, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. This is a king, my friends. This is a king. You don't see this on all the influencers things. No, 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 I'm not that great. God's the one that's great. That's what he's saying. He just got a crown and a throne. And who could he talk about the most? Not about himself and his accomplishments and how his, his, his life has finally come together and God's finally answering all of his prayers and now he's finally the guy. The hero of his story was God. And oftentimes in life we struggle because though we seek to worship him in church out there, we desperately long to be the hero of our own story. I'm the hero. I want this to be about me and not about him. Look with me in verse number nine. He bowed the heavens also and came down. Verse 11, he made darkness his secret place, his pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Verse 14, yea, he sent out his arrows 
and scattered them. Verse 16, he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Verse 17, he delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, meaning they were before me and waiting for me. They were looking to ambush me. Look at verse 18 once again. But the Lord was my stay. Verse 19, he brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. You say, okay, we get it. He's not done. He keeps going. Look at verse number 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. Verse 32, it is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet, hinds like a, like a deer, graceful deer, like a gazelle, just so graceful. Who does that? Who makes my, listen, who is the one that makes my life and my, and my story graceful? and beautiful and brings it all together. It's not me. The greatness is not mine. He did it. We, we must take the time to adore him. We must take the time to look at him. We must take the time to admire him. To not just ask for things, even though we should. But to say, I can ask for things because you are the God who listens. What other God listens? Millions of people in this world pray. Only one God listens. Only one. And only one God hears and answers prayer. Only one. I heard a a story of a Christian uh, lady. And matter of fact, she's the one that taught the lesson where I took the, the pray, care, and share. That's kind of her thing. And her story is based on that. And she was saying that when she was in university, she was claimed to be an atheist. She enjoyed having debates with Christians and had them on stage debating Christians and also personally. And she really liked to try to make them look foolish. Graduated. Her mother was very sick, went back home and was tending to her mother. And some Christians reached out to her, some friends of hers, because she moved back home. They reached out to her and said, hey, we're going to be putting on this drama at church. I can't remember if it was at church or just out like in a theater somewhere. And they knew she liked it. She knew she liked to act. Then this lady wasn't an actress, but just kind of in a recreational way. And so they reached out to her and said, hey, do you want to be a part of this? Come out and practice. She's like, yeah, sure, I'll come out. Sounds like fun. Well, unbeknownst to her, all of these friends were Christians except for her. And they had intentionally invited her to come and participate so that they could pray, care, and share the gospel. This group prayed for her. When she came and started participating, they asked and said, hey, do you mind if we pray for you? We know that you're trying to help your mother and that she's very sick. Do you mind if we pray for you and we pray for your mother? 
And she said, yeah, what can it hurt? Those were her words. What can it hurt? Atheist, what can it hurt? They would pray over her and they would pray scripture. God, we know that you are the great physician. We know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to the purpose. And more scriptures such as this, they would pray to God in worship, calling upon him to work in that situation. And she would just simply let them pray over her out loud. And this went on day after day, week after week after week. She finally got to the point where she said, where are you getting these prayers? Because she was listening. And she was getting the gospel in these prayers. And she was learning about God in these prayers. And they said, from the Bible. She's like, well, I know that, but where? So they started pointing out the different scriptures. And one of her friends said, do you have a Bible? And she said, no. He's like, oh, I happen to have one right here. Right? Isn't it funny how Christians always happen to have Bibles around? <laughs> Praise God. Gives her a Bible. And he said, are you going to start reading? She's like, yeah. He's like, I suggest you start reading in John. It's a good place for people to start. And, she's, and, and they said, look, I know you're not a believer, but I'm going to dare you to pray to the God you don't believe in. And ask him to show himself to you as you read his word. She said she went home that night. Started reading in John. Read for a little while. She prayed that prayer. She said, I met Jesus that night. The truth was so real. And he spoke to me. Listen, let me tell you something, friend. There's only one God in this world that can do that. There's only one. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He's the one who loves. He's the one who cares. He's the one who calls us. He's the one. He's the one. And he deserves to be worshiped. He deserves to be adored. He deserves for us to fall down on our face. When the Bible talks about worship, the Bible really literally is talking about falling down on your face and licking the hand the way a dog licks the hand of its master. You think, well, that's kind of humbling. That's kind of the point. Why do dogs like to lick hands? We have a dog. What is it? Is it the salt? You think, oh, that's gross. I don't know. I'm sure we can Google it and find out. They like it. You think, Pastor, what are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say, my friends, is that I don't pretend to understand everything about worship. But I know that somehow when I humble myself and I put myself down and I put him up and I begin to tell him things about himself that are true and things that he has done for me, all of a sudden the world begins to make sense. All of a sudden I find my purpose. All of a sudden everything begins to fall into place inside. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. My friends, sometimes we come into the church house 
And we sing the same songs that we sing every week or the same songs that we sing that we've sung for several times. And sometimes it's so real and other times we seem so cold and distant. And could I venture to say possibly throughout the week that we have not taken the time to adore him in our private time. And when we do, when we come into the church house, God speaks to our heart through his word. The sermon's like, man, that's exactly what I needed. Why? Because the sermon was so incredible? No, because we have recognized throughout the week that he is incredible. That he is incredible. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. What does this world say? Lift yourself up. Tell yourself that you're everything that you ever needed. Tell yourself that you're enough. Tell yourself that you're strong. Tell yourself that you're stronger than you thought. Tell yourself, tell yourself, self-talk, self-talk. The Bible tells us that there is an everlasting strength outside of ourselves, and it's from God Almighty. And he is our strength. How do we connect to that strength? Through prayer? Yes, honestly, but first, through worship. Through worship. He deserves to be worshiped. The word worship simply means to address with exalted thoughts by prayer and thanksgiving. To worship with profound reverence. To love in the highest degree. To regard with the utmost esteem, affection, and respect as the people adore their prince. The hour cometh and now is, John four twenty three, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. One article says this. It talks about how when we look at beauty in creation, that beauty doesn't have to exist. And that beauty is one of those things that proves that there is a God. Why is the world beautiful? Why are human beings attractive? And especially to one another. Why is that? The article goes on to say, why are there 10,000 species of birds in the world? Or the 400,000 species of flowers, each unique in color, shape, and texture. Consider the diversities of spices from cumin to, to, to cayenne to nutmeg and turmeric. God could have created the world so that humans only needed to have a bland, gruel-like substance called porridge. In order to survive, but he didn't. He created thousands of edible plants and animals from which millions of culinary combinations could be made. He created humans with taste buds to appreciate things like salted caramel gelato. That's the first amen you've said all day. I'm teasing. Or buttermilk fried chicken. By the way, the longer the name 
of the dish, the more tasty it is. Old-fashioned buttermilk deep-fried chicken. <gasps> Versus fried chicken. Hey, Amen. It's good. Just as he is a God who not only creates, but pauses to enjoy what he has created. God is the one that designed the Sabbath day to sit back and enjoy his creation. My friends on the Sabbath day, especially, but each and every day, let's take the time to look at what he has done and adore and worship him. We'll cover the rest of the outline, Lord willing, next week. Let's worship him. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.